and I thought, oh, I could do that. I reckon I could do 100 miles in a day. So on one day, I, I set five world records. I set the 100-mile record, 100K, 50 miles, 12 hours and 24-hour record, all on one day. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Behind Every Face. I'm Miguel Mellinger and today we have a very special guest called Rory Coleman. And I thought I'd mention some of the reasons why I started this podcast as I haven't really talked too much about it. So first of all, I think that a lot of people are very quick to judge others over very small things without ever really knowing them. And there's a lot of depth behind every face, hence the name. Um, of this podcast and I wanted to show that the only way you can truly know somebody is by taking the time to find out about their story. Now the other reason is that I thought by interviewing people with extraordinary life stories or people who have done extraordinary things with their life it can hopefully inspire others to follow their own dreams and like I said today I'm speaking to Rory Coleman and he's a man who certainly has a lot of depth, a lot of experiences um, and he has definitely followed his dreams when nobody else thought it were possible. Um, and 30 years ago, nearly 30 years ago, he was a man struggling with depression and addiction, but he turned it all around, and since then, he's run over 1,000 marathons. Um, he has done 15th Marathon de Sable. Um He's done a race from London to Lisbon, and you might have just heard now that he has a number of world records as well. So he certainly faced many obstacles throughout his journey, which we'll get into shortly, but he has managed to overcome them with an incredible mindset and incredible fitness. So without further ado, um, here's when I interviewed Rory Coleman. Rory, hello, and thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Now, you are truly the marathon man, and the number of things you have accomplished is simply amazing. I don't really know where to start, but I suppose we should start at the beginning. Um, when you were just 31. So how did this passion for running begin? Well, my passion for running, run, running for me is about therapy. And when I was 31, back in 1994, people didn't sort of own up to being depressed or having anxiety or not being very happy. And there was, there was this sort of British spirit that you just toughened up and got on with it. Um, and you couldn't reach out and go on the internet because the internet hadn't really been invented as then, and you couldn't look at YouTube movies. Um, and all I knew was that I was in a bit of a dark black space, <clears throat> and I didn't know quite how to get out of that hole. And all I could think of was uh, I needed to go for a run. It was just like an overwhelming feeling um, to go out and run because I thought well people that run they're slim and uh, they look healthy and I felt very overweight and unhealthy and I thought they also look quite happy and I wasn't very happy so on a very dark January night on the 5th of 95th of January 1994 mm -hmm. I stepped outside of my front door and I ran for about 100 yards yeah and then passed out on the pavement <laughs> Yeah. Uh, for most people, they would have been sort of, sort of really upset because how unfit they were. But I didn't. I didn't feel like that. I felt, I felt brilliant. I felt elated because I'd found 
my thing that was going to sort of follow me through for the rest of my life. Yeah. And actually before that, um, if you don't mind me asking, it might be quite personal, but how did you get into the state that you were in? Was it an emotional or stress related effect? Well, you don't, you don't actually realize when it's happening. So what happens is you get into a little bit of a tailspin and every day it just gets slowly worse. So, uh, you're feeling pretty unhappy, so you might reach out for a drink, and then the next day you might reach out for a couple of drinks, and then the next week it's three drinks, and before you know it, you're drinking every day because that numbs the pain. It numbs, the, it numbs that feeling of depression that um, so many people have got nowadays. So you don't re it's like getting older. Um, I remember being 14. Uh, back in 1976 and I, I think I look just like I did back in 1976 it's just that I've changed but it's just very gradual um, and depression anxiety uh, alcoholism uh, dependency on drugs all happens very slowly and uh, before you know it you're beyond help and I think really if I if you imagine that I was a plain ready to hit the ground i just about pulled out <clears throat> at the very bottom yeah. um, it's something i call point zero um and i, I reached you know i reached a pretty low point i just thought well it can't get any worse it can only get better and what i found out with the running was if i could run 100 steps today i could do 200 tomorrow i could do 400 the next day and actually uh, the improvements were very quick yeah and my improvement in mental health was also very quick and before i knew it in three months i ran a half marathon and the sort of the rest is history i suppose yeah yeah and you you said that you ran a half marathon so from that time where you started running uh, for the first time up until the point where you ran that first marathon um what was it like training it must have been difficult for you well nothing's difficult if you really want to do it so I look so I used to look forward to going to the pub I used to look forward to having a drink but actually my newfound passion of running I look forward to that more than anything so every day at five o'clock I used to think oh, I'm going running there and for half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour all the problems that I felt I had I could park them up in one place and then I could just exist in this sort of very fuzzy, lovely, warm world of running where none of those problems existed. And I could just be me and have some me time, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and what happens is if you can do it for 30 minutes, you actually want it to last for longer. You want, you want that space for longer. And I found out that 45 minutes is actually quite easy and an hour is easy. And well, a half marathon would take about two hours. So that would give me two hours in this, in this place. And then if you can do two hours, well, marathons, well, that would mean that you get double the amount of time. So things just got bigger and bigger. And then you're looking for something that's more than a marathon because marathons don't, weren't lasting long enough. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was more about making, making time and then after that, you went and did the full 26 miles. Um, so after you completed the, the half marathon, and the full marathon, 
did you instantly know that this is what you wanted to do for the next 10, 20 or 30 years? <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't, I didn't set off to run a thousand marathons. <laughs> I set off on a journey where I knew that I wanted to run a marathon. And, if you, and at the time in 1995, if you ran a marathon, the one that was everybody knew about was the London Marathon. So I thought, well, I'll go and do the London Marathon. Um, and I did that in April 1995. And I, and I liked that so much that I ran one the next week yeah. in Stratford-upon-Avon. And then I ran one the week afterwards in Leeds. And I ran the, the one in, in Halstead the week after. And, and at, that, at that time, you could run a marathon every weekend. So if you're, if you're doing something that you love, you just keep going and doing it. It's, it, it was part of that liberation. It was part of... It was part of the process of me finding out what I was really made of. Yeah. Um, and also it was really positive. So the thing about addiction is addiction to alcohol or anything, nicotine or drugs or anything really, it's such a negative thing. Nobody's ever going to say, oh gosh, I'm really glad I became an alcoholic or wow, I'm really glad that I started taking heroin. All of those things, people are always saying, Gosh, I wish I could. I wish I could stop smoking, or I'd really like to give up drugs. But people are hooked on it. The thing about running is that it's just a really positive thing to go and do. There isn't anything negative about running the London Marathon. The London Marathon is just an awesome thing to do. You're 14. You can go and run it in four years' time. It's it's something that I would I would say everybody should go and do once in their lifetime just to feel what it's like because it's such a an iconic, it's an iconic race and it's an iconic thing to go and do. You know, you, you can't go and play Roger Federer at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. You can't play, you can't, you know, you can't play Rory McIlroy in golf. Yeah. But you can run against Kip Chagu or you can run against Paula Radcliffe in the London Marathon. You're in the same race. Yeah. You know, you can run, you can run in the same race as Mo Farah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that, that, that's an incredible thing to be able to say that you've gone and done. And obviously, um, I can't go through every marathon that you've run, but um, are there any that you particularly remember well? I know that the Nottingham Marathon holds a special place in your heart. Yeah, Nottingham was my thousandth marathon. I've always always had a good run at the Robin Hood Marathon. Um, yeah, there was there were ones along the way which were really important. They they used to be a race on the road from London to Brighton. Um, which is 55 miles. And it's a race where it was a very old race. It's about 100 years old. And you started at Big Ben and you finish at the seafront. So you run from Big Ben all the way down the A23 until you hit the sea in Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, if you walked, they'd pull you out. Simple as that. So you've just got to keep running all day. Um, and there's a nine and a half hour time limit. After nine and a half hours, they don't let you cross the line. You don't get a medal, <clears throat> which isn't isn't good for somebody like me. But um, uh, because I'm a starter completer, so yeah, I ran it in nine twenty five, I ran it in nine fifteen, I ran it in eight fifty five. I did it three times. And there's another race from Birmingham to London down the canal. It's one hundred and forty five miles. Wow. So you start in Birmingham at six o'clock on a Saturday morning, and you finish sometime on Sunday and when you're actually in it you can't remember a time when you weren't in it it's like time didn't exist before you were running 
So yeah, I've done those and I've, you know, I've uh, run the Marathon de Sabo, I've run the South America, gosh, I've, I've run all over the world, New York. Uh, so, in, you know, all of the major races that I think I've wanted to do, but then I've, I've also done things where uh, I've run to Lisbon in Portugal yeah. for Euro 2004. So if you imagine getting up and running 31 miles, so I don't know where you live in Kent, but if you ran 31 miles, you'd probably end up in London. You imagine you run to London and then the next day you run back and then you run to London and then the next day you run back and you do that for six weeks. Well, that's, that's what I did going from London. I ran three days in the UK, 25 in France, 23 in Spain and four in Portugal um, to run 1,275 miles in six weeks on the hard shoulder, which was just uh, the most incredible thing to go and do. See, I think I'm very lucky. I think I'm very lucky. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to ask you about is your mindset. Um, (laughs) During, um, like, your mindset during a marathon and before a marathon, and I know that a lot of it is to do with your, your fitness, but you must have quite a strong mental will to be able to, keep on running and make it to the finish line i think it's about desire isn't it so you've got you've got two things you've got ambition and ability so if i said that i was going to go and swim the channel um my ambition would be good which is you know it's good to go and swim the channel my ability wouldn't be so good because i can only swim about 15 meters yeah so the two don't match if i said i was going to run 31 miles which is roughly what it is across the channel through the channel tunnel um well i can do that i could do that every day and also i do it because i want to do it so it's about desire ability and ambition so i've never dropped out of a race i've always finished because i've always wanted to finish and i've always tried to make sure that i do things i know i can complete Mm-hmm. There's no point in saying you know, no point in standing on the start line thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to finish today or not, um, because that means you haven't trained properly. Yeah. So, going out and running a marathon now, well, I can go out and run a marathon every day. That's quite an easy thing to go and do, um, because I've been doing it for 25 years. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 marathons themselves, like the the smaller regular marathons. Um, aren't the only things that you do. You mentioned that you've done big runs like uh, the Marathon de Sablo with the Saharan Desert. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned that you did the 43 ultra marathons in 43 days for the uh, London to Lisbon. Um, and you've also completed some world records, I believe. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the world record's quite interesting. Um, so when you start running lots of marathons, uh, you start looking at the record books, you sort of think, well, you know, I've run 11 marathons in 11 weeks. That must be, uh, that must be a record. So you, buy, you, go and you go to the bookshop and you buy the Guinness Book of Records and you find out that it isn't a record. But for me, I think it's important that I have some kind of fingerprint or thumbprint that I put on the world yeah. to sort of say, I've been here. So we've got the moon landings this week, haven't we? You know, man landed on the moon 50 years ago. I remember it as a young boy. And Neil Armstrong left his mark on the world. He was the first man on, you know, he was the first man on the moon. That was his mark on, on mankind. Um, my mark on mankind was sort of, well, yeah, I'm doing all these marathons, but actually 
having some world records would be really, you know, be really cool. So I thought, 11 marathons in 11 weeks, oh no. There's loads of people running marathons. Um, fastest marathon, 206, well, I couldn't do that. Fastest marathon backwards is about 320. Yeah. No, I can't do that either. But then I saw that a lady had run 93 miles on a treadmill in a day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I could do that. I reckon I could do 100 miles in a day. So on one day, I, I set five world records. I set the 100-mile record, 100K, 50 miles, 12 hours, and 24-hour record, all on one day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I could do that. I reckon I could do 100 miles in a day. So on one day, I, I set five world records. I set the 100-mile record, 100K, 50 miles, 12 hours, and 24-hour record, all on one day. So to get five world records. And then I ran on a treadmill for a week and then a couple of days and then we did a team world record and then I broke the 48 hour world record again. So yeah, I've got nine world records and yeah, they were all 20 years ago, but it doesn't matter because those are my, those are like my GCSEs. They're they're my certificates to say that those are my running qualifications. Mm -hmm. And nowadays people are still running on treadmills, setting world records, um, using the way that I set the records out to be broken. Mm-hmm. So that's really quite, that's a nice legacy as well, isn't it? Because you know, my I'm 57 now, my, my running career is sort of over. <laughs> I can still run marathons and that's fine, but really my running career is over and now it's about what, what I can give back to other people to help them get through um, where they are and what they're trying to do uh, as, as we go forward. Yeah, yeah. And you, I mentioned the other massive runs, if you like, the 1,000 miles and the 1,275 miles. How difficult are they? Can you train for them or is it something that you can actually prepare yourself for? <clears throat> um, the run to Lisbon, I had about a month, really. To, to, I don't know if it was training. I had about four weeks. And the, the, biggest, the biggest part of that is somebody says, we'd like you to run to Lisbon. And you sort of think, well, okay, I'm not, I'm not really quite sure how far Lisbon is. I thought it's about a thousand miles. Yeah. Um, they said, do you want to run to Lisbon? We're looking for someone to run to Lisbon. I said, yeah, okay. And they said, well, don't you want to go away and have a think about it? And I thought, well, not really. If it's about a thousand miles, I know I can run that. Um, so that was more about a question of, it's, I call it range. It's a bit like knowing how much battery you've got in your iPhone or how much petrol you've got in your car, knowing how far you can go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the thousand mile challenge, that was, they're mind games really. When, when, you, when you ask me about mindset, I think if, if you were to ask me about my point of difference to most people is my, is, uh, my mindset yeah. because I just don't accept failure. Yeah. Um, I'm realistic. You know, I like to be realistic about things. There's no point in setting out to do something that you can't do. But if you say you're going to do it, you jolly well go and do it. Yeah. You know, if you say you're going to be speaking at five o'clock to somebody, you're there speaking at five o'clock to somebody because, because I said I was going to be there and I'm somebody that keeps their word. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we're talking about training um, and it links in with the fact that you are now a personal trainer. Um, so you went from a job in sales, I believe, to supporting yourself by doing something that you love. Um, and how good does it feel looking back on where you were to where you are now? Uh, that's interesting. Um, I think... When, yeah, because when you look back on your career and what you've done in, in life, I, all the things I did for about 25 years are actually in a skip or a landfill. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing tangible. It's not like I've been a builder and I've built a house and I can go back and look at the house that I built 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, but when you say I'm a personal trainer, yeah, okay, I, I, you know, I can coach people in the gym. But actually, it's, it's, running is just one part of what I do with people now. And the majority of my time is spent working with people, sorting out, getting their life in order. Mm -hmm. Because lots of people's lives are in disorder. So back in 1994... My life was in disorder. It was uncontrolled. It was out of control. And there was no framework for me to build the rest of my life on. So I was just like a firework that was just, just going off. There's, there's going to be nothing left. Uh, no saving, no future. It was just everything was spent in the now. When you talk about training and you're training for events, so if I think I'm going to be running for, I don't know, I'm going to be doing a marathon in September, I'm training now for that race because you have to do everything way in advance of where it is. So I spend a lot of my time planning with people. Yeah. I actually spend a lot of my time convincing people not to do things because they try and do too much. Yeah. If you're going to do something, do it really well, or don't do it at all. Don't try and do don't try and do ten things if you're only good at five things. Um, and also, people tend to concentrate on the things that they like rather than the things that they're not so sure of. You know that they don't like. So if you if you're going to do ten GCSEs, you know you're going to get five of them are really easy. You're going to get grade A's in those anyway. There's no point in revising those. You're wasting your time. Yeah. But things like religious studies and French or something, where you think, oh, those are the ones where you should be, or physics, those are the ones where you should be putting lots of activity in, lots of revision, lots of cramming, so that you, you get 10 A's rather than five A stars and five rubbish. It's just that people don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um and I think also for young people, they don't, they, you have to have an advantage. Yeah. When you're 22 and you leave university, um, you're just one of thousands of people in, you know, thousands of young people in the UK looking for a job. What makes you different to anybody else? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I ran the Marathon de Sable when I was 21. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, or I ran the London Marathon, or <clears throat> I ran to Lisbon, or I ran across the States, or um, I did the Atacama Crossing, 
or I, I, you know, I did John O'Groats to Land's End on a push bike uh, on my 18th birthday, yeah. which makes you different to other people. Yeah. I'm different to a lot of people. Um, when I started this back in 1994, everybody thought I was mad. Honestly, everybody thought I'd flipped. Now, in 2019, lots of people say, I want what you've got. Yeah. Because what they've got doesn't fulfill their ambition and their desire. I know you've worked with um, many big names. Um, and uh, does it feel different um, training someone who's not uh, famous, if you like, in comparison to someone like uh, Sir Renolf Rienz or Helen Skeleton, these big celebrities who you've worked with? Uh... Look, I, I think, for me, it's like a real privilege to work with those people. Yeah. So, Serrano Fines um, is a national treasure. Mm -hmm. For my generation, he is as famous as a Neil Armstrong, as a David Attenborough, uh, you know, and when people of my generation meet him, they just want to sort of touch him to see if he's real. Because... He is James Bond. He's a really, he's a living James Bond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he phoned me. I took a phone call and he said, I ran fines. Will you train me for Marathon de Sable? It was just like, I remember fist pump going, yes, what a call. It's the best call ever. You know, it, it doesn't get better than that. Um, when I was growing up, when I was 14, um, Blue Peter used to get, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight million viewers every, you know, twice a week to watch the show. It, it was the children's show. And that Blue Peter badge was, <clears throat> gosh, you know, that, that, was, that was really important, the Blue Peter badge. And I ended up being on Blue Peter when I was 46. And I got my Blue Peter badge. Um, so yeah, and, and you have a responsibility. I don't want to be the trainer that killed Serrano Fines, do I? You know, I? I don't want to go down in history as a person that, that you know, killed him in the middle of the Sahara. Um, I, <clears throat> I, I was very careful of Ranoff. Uh, I was very careful of Helen when I trained her for her race in Namibia. But yeah, I've got Game of Thrones actors and Star Wars actors and <clears throat> Hollywood blockbuster actors. Yeah, they're, but they're just people. They're just people like, what, what they are is, they, they, actors are brilliant to train because they just become an ultramarathon runner. You just tell them what to do. Yeah. So they just take on the part. So actually, actors are really good. Um, I don't know what politicians would be like, but um, what, what I find out is that everybody I train is actually just really nice. They're just really, they're good people. and. I don't have to fight any clients or anything. It's just um, they come to me because they want help. Yeah. And they're open to change, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there's one very important thing um, that we haven't mentioned yet, and that is in April 2016, you were left paralyzed after being diagnosed with, um, I don't know if this is pronounced correctly, but I think it's... Have a go. Wilaine Barry syndrome? Uh, Guillain-Barry syndrome, yes. Yeah. Okay, and um, 
firstly, um, what were your initial thoughts after receiving the diagnosis? Well, what happened was I, I did the Marathon de Sable. Um, I came home and a week later, uh, I'd had a tummy bug during the race. And a week later, I was paralyzed from the neck down. Yep. And what happens is uh, your nervous system, all, the, all, all of the uh, neurons firing down your central nervous system, just um, they get confused. The, the actual nerve sheaths get damaged. Um, so all your brain waves are coming off in broadband. And by the time they get to your hands and feet, yeah, they're sort of in dial-up. There's no signal going, so you, you, you literally can't move. But it also, it also sort of makes your head feel quite dumb. So you're sort of, sort of quite woolly in your, in your thinking. So it's a, bit like, it's a bit like being drunk. Your body feels drunk and your brain feels a bit drunk. So you don't really realise how serious it is. The only way, the only way you can gauge that is with all of your family because they're and everyone you meet because they're crying. Yeah. So you're you don't look upset and you don't feel upset, but everybody else is crying. So you sort of think, well, okay, this must be pretty serious. Um, and what you do is you Google Guillain-Barre syndrome and you read about the first three or four lines in Wikipedia. Yeah. And then you very quickly shut that window down because it says that it's really, really serious and that it kills 10% of people and 30% of people never get out of a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, I was a bit pissed because I was stuck on 976 marathons. Yep. So all I wanted to do was to go and run those last uh, 24 marathons. I got them all planned. Yeah. I was gonna do it at Robin Hood in September, 2016 and I couldn't move for nearly five months. And what happens is the doctors tell you that you've got Guillain-Barre syndrome. The nurses will sort of help you and clean you up and your family sort of cries and then they sort of try and G you up. But the only person that can fix you is you. So it was like going, it was like starting to run again. I couldn't, you know, so, if you imagine you're looking at your feet and you can just raise your foot off the ground, I looked at my feet and they didn't move. It was, it was like they, they'd had anaesthetic, nothing moved. But very slowly I could start to move a toe and then two toes. And then I learned so I could walk and I could walk with some walking sticks and then a Zimmer frame. And then, and then I thought, well, actually, I think I could start running maybe. So I started, I just started walking lots and after five months I did a I did a park run I was last in our park run in Cardiff um, in 58 minutes and I tried harder than I've ever run before in my life 58 minutes to do park run but then three weeks later I did a half marathon and four weeks later than that I did a I did a marathon again I was back running and I've done 66 marathons since in the last three, in the last three years. Yep. So when people tell me that they can't do something, Miguel, <clears throat> I always say to them, well, I think you can. Uh, it all depends how much you want it. Um, I just wanted to be normal again, or what I consider to be normal. Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome um, 
steals your identity. So it's like somebody stealing your shadow. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody just comes along and sort of, yeah, it's like somebody, somebody steals your pin number or something and takes out lots of credit in your name. You sort of think, well, hold on a minute. This is me and I want to be me again. But that identity has been taken. Yeah. And you, tr- you can try really hard to get it back. Um, but it never comes back. Yeah. Even three years later, it's still not there. Yeah. And the, the good news is that um, obviously you did recover. Uh, some <laughs> doctors weren't, um, weren't so sure. But um, uh, you did go on to finish that 1,000th marathon in the Nottingham Marathon. Mm-hmm. And um, you're still running today, obviously. Um, and it's been great speaking to you. Um, and I... I d- do you plan on continuing to run as long as possible? Or? Well, I think so. We're all designed to run, aren't we? We're not designed to sit at keyboards and write emails. Um, we're designed to run, and I want to try and do this for as long as possible, really. Um, it's something I love doing. It makes me feel good. And, I, well, I don't really want to grow up, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm still in here. I'm the same age as you. I'm 14. You know, it's still 1976, really. Um, and I think I'm a very lucky person. I've seen I've seen a lot of the world. I've been to a lot of places, um, experienced a lot of things. You know, it's, it's 50 years since man landed on the moon. That's like that was yesterday. Honestly, it was like yesterday. And time goes very very quickly. Um, and people don't plan for the future. They don't. They don't have long-term goals. So that's why I try and that's why I try and do with people. I try and get them to think about who they are, what they're trying to do, if they do things well, um, try and do them better, um, and make sure that your desire matches your ability. Yeah, it's good. I wish you every every uh, success in the future. Yeah. Um, well, before you go um, and before we yeah. finish off. Um, for anyone who might be in a similar position um, like you were in 1994 or um, for anyone who wants to do something but doesn't quite know how to yet um, could you give a few tips or pieces of advice uh, on how to take a leap into making a difference to your life okay so if somebody's um, depressed or addicted you need to reach out yeah Okay, so you need to actually admit to yourself where you are and decide that you want to change. Nobody can change you. Nobody can change you. You have to have the desire to change. Mm-hmm. And the best thing to do is to reach out. Um, people reach out to me every day. Lots of people reach out. They just sort of say, Hi, Rory, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. And it's always a massive long email. <clears throat> this is this is what happened. Blah 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 blah. Uh, can you help? It's like yeah, of course I can help. So yeah, reach out. And also, if people want to go and do something that's extraordinary, find somebody that's done it already. Okay, so find so you know, there's no point in going out and trying to work out how to climb Everest 
go and find somebody that's climbed it a few times and say, well, how do you do it? Um, you know, it's a bit like a driving test. You don't just get in the car and sort of scratch your head and sort of think, well, I wonder how it works. You know, you, you, you have some driving lessons. Yeah. Or, and, then, and then find out what you're good at. Um, I, was, I was really good at drawing and uh, I love music. And I've put a lot of my time and effort into doing those things because that's what I'm good at. Um, I'm not very good at lots of other things like swimming. Um, so I've, I've tended not to swim very much, if I'm being honest, because I'm wasting my time. Um, I don't think people value their time a lot. And also there's a, there's a big difference between men and women. Um, men are a bit more blasé they're a bit more gung-ho and i coach a lot of women <clears throat> and women are fantastic when you empower them um because i think women are far more dynamic than men yep um and i've got some great female clients that are fantastic runners um so I love, I love empowering uh, women, um, and especially ones that like racing and that are good because uh, it's really funny when they meet, beat the men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, uh, that's great advice. So thank you. And uh, thank you for speaking to me. Once, uh, yeah. Um, once again, I hope everything goes well for the future. I hope you can perhaps get another 1,000. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know if I'll be. I don't know if I've got enough years left for that. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. Look, it, it, after a thousand, it's just like, well, so what? <laughs> or, you know, is it after 50, so what? Um, it's, it's just a number, isn't it? And it's only important to me. It's not important to anybody else. It's only important to me. So um, it's just something I, I can look back on and think, well, do you know what? I actually did something with my time on this planet. Yeah. Um, I think that's cool. So that was episode six. I really hope you enjoyed it. I certainly found it very interesting and very inspiring speaking to Rory. So thank you once again, Rory, for coming on my show. Um, and if you want to find out a bit more about his life story, then you can just quickly uh, give him a Google search and there's lots of things that come up. And you can also follow him on the different social media platforms that there are. Um, and in terms of my social media, I've mentioned it before, so um, just Miguel Mellinger, all lowercase, um, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so go and follow me on there, and don't forget to follow or subscribe, depending on what you're listening on, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then leave a five-star review, it will really help me out. Um, also, if you or anyone you know has a really interesting story, and you would like to come on the show, then either leave me a message on one of the social media platforms or you can email me at miguelmelanger at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed speaking to Ori today. That was episode six and I'll see you next time.